So last week, Marta shared a Christmas story looking at Luke uh, 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, and really the, the story of Mary. And every time I read the story of Mary, I am blown away by this teenager who was uh, uh, confronted by an angel. The angel said, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. And uh, she heard all of these details, details that didn't make sense, details that uh, didn't fit her plan for her life, details that would have made her life very uncomfortable and very challenging. But yet in uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 38, I believe, it says that uh, her response was simply this, I am the Lord's servant. Do to me as you've said. And I was all, I'm always convicted by that response of Mary, by a teenage girl's response to say, I am the Lord's servant. I'm not living for myself. I am the servant of the Lord, and you can do whatever you want to do through me. And last week, Marta just asked a simple question, and I think it's a profound question. Are you available to God? I mean, that's it. Are you available every day to God to be, to be used by Him, to allow Him to work in you and through you? Are you available to God? And then I think of 1 Corinthians 6 where it says that we were purchased with a price. And we love that. We love that. It says you're purchased with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with every part of your life. Because you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to the Lord. And I just love the story, the Christmas story of Mary. Mary saying, here I am, I'm your servant. And every day may we be available to God. Well, this morning I want to look at uh, another Christmas story. But this morning I want to call this a Christmas hope. And I want us to be filled with hope this morning. And uh, we're going to hop into that story in, in just a little bit. But about this time, um, I'm seeing less and less of these uh, come in the mail, more uh, pictures uh, online. But uh, around this time, you start to receive Christmas cards. And you receive, uh, you know, cards with uh, beautiful pictures of family, and you see, like, all the kids, like, in uh, the, like, the perfect positions and the perfect spots, and you know full well that that was a moment that was captured in time, but there was a lot more going on to get that picture. I remember a couple years ago, this uh, picture came out, and people started to laugh, and this was kind of the behind the scenes of a Christmas card. It's kind of, they said it was a Christmas card fail, and uh, this first picture, uh, I love that one where uh, the kids are there screaming and, and yelling and uh, crying, all with the, the word joy on it. You know, I, who knows if they ever got a picture with uh, smiles, but uh, it is pretty comical that uh, here there is the, the joy word and that they're not experiencing joy at all. Or this next one, um, you know, trying to get uh, the kids to stand there nice. And there's always one, there's always one who's flopping on uh, the floor crying. Or this next uh, picture, um, again, there's always one. There's the, the girls, uh, you know, nicely in picture, and then brother like, nope, not having it. Or this was my favorite one that I found, uh, this next slide. Because um, that tells a lot. The little sister flopping and holding a cookie, which you know she was bribed by that cookie. Like, here's a cookie. You just smile. You just like, you know, give us a good picture and you can have a cookie. You know, there is always like when you get those pictures, when they're posted on Facebook or whatever, you always know there is more going on. There's more than what we see. And this morning, I want to look at the Christmas story. I want to look at it from a different passage, a passage that truly is a Christmas story, and, and get a picture behind the scenes as to what was happening on Christmas. I want you to turn to Revelation. You're like, Revelation? That's not a Christmas story. Oh, it will be. You just wait. Revelation. Revelation was written by a man named John. 
and written around 90 AD, 92 to 96 AD, and a lot was going on at that time. John, if you remember, was the disciple that Jesus loved. That was the nickname that he gave himself, which I love that he gave that nickname to himself. He's like, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm the best. I'm the favorite. Jesus loves me. But uh, it was written by John, and John was actually the only disciple that was not killed for his faith. Now, it didn't mean that he didn't suffer. He suffered greatly. He lived to an old age of 80, and he's, or even beyond that, at 80, he's writing Revelation. And things had gotten tough for followers of Jesus. Starting about 65 AD, things were getting tough. There was Emperor Nero who was blaming Christians for the, the fall of Jerusalem, for Jerusalem being destroyed. He was blaming Christians, and then he would light them on fire and illuminate uh, the city uh, as he burned them, and he blamed them for burning uh, Jerusalem. In 70 AD, Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, and actually Paul were killed for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down for his faith, and Timothy also, who we read about a lot in the New Testament, was killed about that time. But then around 90, 92, there was an emperor who came into power who was more of a dictator with a, a, a low self-esteem, which it seems like a lot of them always have like a low self-esteem. They're always looking over their shoulders, looking over their backs. And this emperor said he wanted everybody to worship him. And so as a result, people would have to go to a temple that he built, would take a little incense, plop it on the altar, and say that he is Lord. Well, many did this because they're like, well, I, we worship a lot of gods, so what's one more? So they went, and, and a lot of people did this except the Apostle John. He's like, I'm not giving my life and my heart to anyone else. So he refused to say to the emperor that uh, he is Lord. As a result, the emperor got furious and wanted to kill him, decided to throw him in a cauldron full of burning, boiling oil. John survived that, survived oil being poured on his head and was put out on an island, the island of Patmos, Patmos, 10 miles off of the shore of Turkey, where there he was going to spend the rest of his days. And it was on that island that he received this revelation of Jesus and wrote Revelation. And you think about like John's life, living to an old age, suffering for his faith in Jesus. And you think like, Jesus, where are you at in the midst of this? Where are you in the midst of this? What are you doing? Here is this man who has given his whole life to following you. He's even said like, he is the one that you love so dearly. Jesus, where are you in the midst of this? And on the island, after going through a lot for his faith in Jesus, John gets a revelation of Jesus in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty. And I think about that. I think about our lives. What do we need when we're going through suffering? What do we need when we're going through difficulty? I believe that we need a revelation of Jesus. We need to see him clearly. Not only do we, we don't always need solutions to our problems. We just need to see our Savior, Jesus. We don't need answers to our questions. We need the one who is the answer. We need Jesus. We need to see him clearly. And so in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, we need to see Jesus. And that changes us. But also we need to see Jesus because I believe one of the biggest dangers in our life, if not the greatest danger in our life, is spiritual complacency. And when we see Jesus, when we see him for who he is, we are transformed from the inside out. We're kicked out of our complacency. And so this morning we're going to look at Revelation 12, which actually is a Christmas story. Revelation 12, but in this Christmas story, uh, there's no baby in a manger. 
There's no shepherds. There's no wise men. There's no uh, angels singing. In fact, they are engaged in war. This is what Eugene Peterson said about Revelation 12. He said this, This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is a nativity story all the same. Because Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. Why? Because the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth was a declaration of war on the enemy. God keeping his promise to redeem, to restore, and to renew our relationship with God. There may have been peace on earth, but there was anything else. There was not peace in heaven. Let's look at Revelation uh, chapter 12. Right in the middle of Revelation, really the summary of, uh, of, of the book, kind of the, the pinnacle of the book. And so what we're going to go do is uh, just go uh, kind of verse by verse. I'm going to highlight what's going on and then we're going to talk about uh, the implications uh, of our life, for our life. Luke uh, 12, but I'm going to start actually in verse uh, 19 of the previous chapter. It says, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder and earthquake and a heavy hail. So let's just pause there for a second. There we see, you know, God's temple in heaven was opened, and we see the ark. Now this is profound, like because once, if you go back to the Old Testament, it was just one time a year when people would go into the Holy of Holies, when they would see the ark. You would think of uh, the high priest going in and uh, confronting and, and, and interacting with God, but they would only go in once a year. And uh, here we see in Revelation, this was the throne of God. And John is saying, look, heaven has been opened. The ark and the covenant, we can see it. Something is going on, something important. And then there is thunder and lightning. And anytime there's thunder or lightning, it just demonstrates that God's mighty power is about to be unleashed. He's coming to rescue his people, to deliver them. And also in Revelation, when you see thunder and lightning, it signifies that there's an important event about to take place. And so as we read verse 19 of chapter 11, our ears should perk up like something significant is going to happen. Something big is going to take place. God is about to move in a powerful way. So John then says this, he says, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So we'll stop there. Let's focus on that a little bit. It says, uh, John says, and a great sign appeared. A great sign, something that, that points to something else. There was an event of great significance. A sign appeared, and here was a woman who was clothed. I mean, just use your imagination. Clothed with, the, clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And you have to ask the question, well, who is this woman that John is talking about? This woman represents uh, Israel. If you go back into Genesis 37, you see this dream that Joseph had of, of his, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down before him. And it represent, represented like, okay, this was, um, uh, represents Israel. Eventually those uh, 11 sons of, uh, 11 brothers of Joseph become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the woman here represents Israel, but it also represents Mary 
and represents the church. We'll see later on that uh, it says that uh, the enemy comes to make war on the rest of her offspring, which is us, the church. And so here we see this, this woman who is clothed with the sun, this woman who represents Israel, Mary, and the church. And it says that she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains which would go back to the Old Testament where all of Israel was longing and waiting for the Messiah to come. We continue to read verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Story focuses on another sign, a dragon, which represents the ancient servant, the serpent, the devil, the deceiver. And it says the dragon was great, a great red dragon with seven heads, seven, a number of completeness, heads meaning authority, means that he had complete authority given by God's will with ten horns. Another number of completeness, horns representing strength. And then seven diadems, complete wealth, those crowns representing wealth, completely rich. Sweeping a third of the stars from the sky, which, which demonstrates what happened when Satan fell from heaven. A third of the angels went with him. So there you see a picture, a picture of this dragon with complete authority, completely strong, completely rich. And there he stands to devour the baby which was going to be born. You think about that. This dragon and this woman. I mean, both signs, the woman being Mary, the dragon being the serpent, being the devil, being the enemy. Here was this big uh, uh, conflict with the enemy ready to devour, ready to destroy the child that was to be born. And it reminds me that that is always the purpose of the enemy in our life. There's always been the purpose all the way back to Genesis 3 when God created the world. You see that the serpent was there and the serpent came to, uh, to uh, Eve and said, did God really say? Confronted God. Did God really say? And also tempted her to say, do you want to be like God? If we look at the Christmas story, there's always a behind the scenes and there's this big cosmic battle that has been going on from the very beginning of time. And here we see it at its peak when, when the child was about to be born. And I don't know about you, but you put a dragon against a woman. And I'm the dragon, you're like, okay, this dragon is going to snatch the child. What is going to happen? But the good news is that the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, his plans never prosper. Look at verse 5. It says, she gave birth to a male child... One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now what's going on there? Notice, first of all, that John did not say, here's another sign. He did not say sign. The woman there was like, a, I saw a sign, here was a woman, I saw a sign, here was a dragon. But he doesn't say this when he gets to the child. Why? Because the child doesn't point to another reality because the child is the reality. The child is Jesus. The one who was to rule the nations with an iron scepter representing his strength. 
But I love here, it says, but the child was caught up to God and to his throne. And you get this picture that, okay, the child is born and all of a sudden God, you know, caught it up into heaven and just, it was, you know, that, it went that quickly. But that phrase actually represents Jesus's birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And in that short phrase, we see that the purposes of God prevailed, that the dragon did not win. It says, but her child was taken away up to God. The dragon waiting to devour is snatched up to God. One of the best words in all of scripture is that word that is underlined there. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Here was the scene. We thought the dragon was going to consume the child, but God came to the rescue. I love that all, all throughout scripture, we see that we are sinners. We are children of wrath, but God who is rich in mercy. We see throughout the Old Testament that the enemy is surrounding Israel. And numerous times God says, just stand and you will see your salvation. But God comes in and rescues. I love Elisha and his servant. He walks out one day after reading the news and having a cup of coffee and he sees a, a large army around him. And Elisha is praying and he's freaking out. And Elisha's praying like, Lord, would you open up my servant's eyes so that he can see you? And all of a sudden his eyes were open, his spiritual eyes were open. And he saw that the armies of God far outnumbered the army that he saw. But God, see the plans of the enemy is going this direction. But God steps in and he snatches the child. You see all the way through Revelation 12, you see that this is a Christmas story. And eventually the woman is fled into the wilderness. A wilderness is a, t- a place of uh, spiritual renewal, being nourished by God. And you see the Christmas story all throughout this passage. The birth of Jesus, though, the son, the child, inaugurated the death of the aged serpent. And because of that, look at what happened. Verse 7 says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, the angels that weren't off singing. They were fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth. And see, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. There is this great battle. Michael and his angels and, uh, are fighting against the dragon and his angels. And while angels were singing on earth, there were others that were fighting. And Michael takes care of the dragon. And you hear that word over and over again that the dragon has been thrown down. The deceiver was defeated, thrown down to earth. Him and his angels thrown down. But how was the battle won? Look at in verse 11. It says, They were conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. By the blood of Jesus and by those who put their faith in him. I mean, do you get the point? Do you see the picture? 
that Jesus, our living Lord, the one who is reigning and ruling right now at the right hand of God, won the victory over all the forces that threatened to undo us. The war in heaven was won through an event on earth, through the birth of a child on earth. The war was won through the life of the child. The war was won through the preaching, teaching, and healing ministry of that child. The war was won through the crucifixion of the child. The war was won through the resurrection of the child. The war was won through the ascension of the child to the throne. The war was won because a baby, a child was born. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And that is the hope that we have during the Christmas season. That is the hope that comes as we celebrate Christmas. With God, all things are possible. And so now all of heaven rejoices, saying salvation and power in the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. This should result in great rejoicing. I know heaven rejoices. I know in the passage it says that, oh, woe is, is earth because the, the enemy has been thrown down and we know that there's suffering, that there's persecution, that there's difficulty, but we should be filled with joy, filled with hope. Why? Because hope is not in an event, in our circumstances. Hope is found in a person and that person's name is Jesus. I think of 1 Peter 1. This is not up there. Peter says this, according to his great mercy... According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for salvation to be revealed at the last time. And then Peter says this, in that you rejoice. In Jesus you rejoice because Jesus has won the battle. The lamb, the crucified lamb, has overcome the enemy. And that should fill us with great joy. Six times in this passage, it says the enemy has been thrown down. The enemy has been thrown down. The dragon has been dethroned. And what a powerful picture. The enemy is thrown down from heaven. And yes, he is on earth and he is causing suffering and pain because he knows his time is short. But as the enemy, the dragon, has been thrown down from heaven... We have been enrolled in heaven all because of Jesus. I just love that. Like the darkness that you get in that picture in in Revelation 12, the darkness has no chance. The enemy has no chance against the power of God. And that's why I love, go ahead and put it up there, John 1. Flip over to John chapter 1. The gospel of John written by the same person says this. This is how he introduces his gospel. And I love just this imagery. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Speaking of Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has no chance against the light. Look at how uh, it was put in, uh, what, what's the next version that I have, Mallory? Message. Eugene says it this way. What came into existence was life. And the life was the light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. Or in the Amplified, it says it this way. In him was life and the power to bestow life. 
And the life was the light of men. The light shines on in the darkness. And the darkness did not understand it or overpower it or appropriate it or absorb it and is unreceptive to it. I love that picture. Like the, the darkness has no chance against the light. I mean, you, you take like a, a flashlight. You know, here's like you can have the darkest thing and this is just a little light. I won't shine it in anybody's eyes. No matter how hard you try to cover it, the light is still going to win. The light is still going to come out of my hand, of illuminate a dark room. The darkness has no chance against the light. John went on to say this, speaking of Jesus. Keep going. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Keep going. Next slide. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who gave the right to become, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then it goes on to say, Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, if the, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I want us to be so filled with hope this morning because of the simple truth of Christmas that the darkness has no shot against the light. And we come into Christmas season, and I believe like when it, when it comes to Christmas, there's a, a magic of Christmas. There's a, a wonder and awe of Christmas. There's something about Christmas that just moves us. And I believe it's this, because people always desire and always believe that things can be better, that life can get better. I think that's what draws us to Hallmark movies. We watch those dumb things, or at least I don't watch them. Other people in my family watch them. <laughs> All because they end up with a nice bow on it and everything is nice and like settled. And I'm like, there's always something stirring in us to wanting to see the darkness overcome and the light to shine for things to be made right. And Christmas is actually a powerful reminder. The story in Revelation 12 is a powerful reminder that darkness has no shot against the light. And I know in this world, we can be overwhelmed with darkness. We can be overwhelmed with suffering. We can be overwhelmed with things in our life going, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? What is going on in my life? And Christmas is a powerful reminder that there is hope and his name is Jesus. I think about the spiritual darkness that we all experience in our lives. Who we were apart from Jesus. Overwhelmed with darkness. A child of wrath. Destined for death. In that dark condition, the light of Jesus comes in. And God, who is full of mercy, says, you know what? I'm coming. I'm bringing my son Jesus into the world. And through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, you can be made right with God by your faith in him. Spiritual darkness shattered in a minute by our faith in Jesus. Powerful. Powerful. And I would ask you this morning, have you given your life to Jesus? The only way out of spiritual darkness is by putting our faith in Jesus. If we want to get out of spiritual darkness, we have got to turn our lives completely over to Jesus and say, I put my faith in you and you alone. And in that minute, in that moment, the truth of scripture is clear that we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come and we are reconciled into a relationship with God and we can boldly walk right into his throne room and pour out our hearts before him. The light of Jesus shatters spiritual darkness. But what about the personal darkness that we fear, that we feel? 
What about the lies in our heads that we, that we, that we hear? Because we see in Revelation 12, we see the way the enemy works. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. He only wants to bring destruction into our lives. We know that that is what he's doing. We know he is looking for people to devour. How do you combat that darkness in our lives? It is so important to be filled constantly with the word of God, to have our minds renewed. I think that is so powerful today. We have to constantly be fighting the darkness that we feel from the enemy with the light of God's word. He comes and he accuses. He, he shares lies with us. But we have to combat that with the truth and say, you know what? It is true. I do sin. I have sinned. But let me tell you the whole picture. I am a new creation in Christ because of what he has done. My sins don't define me. I'm not defined by what I've done. I'm defined by what Jesus has done. We have to constantly be renewing our minds by the power of the word and allowing truth to seep into our hearts. It is true that every single day we will come under attack, spiritual attack by the enemy. And he wants to mess with our thinking and overwhelm us with darkness. But the power of truth, the power of light can shatter that darkness in a minute. And we have to speak that to one another. Speak truth to one another. That's why I so applaud like Abby just sharing. Sharing about what she's experiencing. And to see people gather around her and to speak truth into her life. Because that light shatters the darkness in a moment. But then also I look out at the world and it's dark. And we can read the news, we can watch TV, and there's darkness everywhere. And I know people can get discouraged, can get overwhelmed. But frankly, I look at it. I look at the news, I look at the darkness that's going on in the world. And I'm reminded that Jesus promised it. Things will get worse. But I'm also reminded that the light shines best in the darkness. And I get so encouraged. Because as the world gets darker and darker, as God gives people over to their own ways of thinking and they invent new ways of sinning, I just know that people are going to try thing after thing looking to fill the hole that is in their heart. A hole that only Jesus can fill. And as the world gets darker, I believe the best days of the church are in the future. As we proclaim the gospel, as we become a city uh, uh, on a hill, a light shining in the darkness, people are going to go from one thing to the next looking to fill their hearts with something, to fill that, that void in their souls. But we know it's only through Jesus that that can be filled. Are we being, are we shining our lights are we being light of the world to people? Are we pointing them to Jesus? See, this Christmas is such a powerful reminder that light shatters the darkness, shatters it in us as we hold on to the gospel, as we hold on to who Jesus is, as we believe his truth, but also as we go out and proclaim it to a world that desperately, desperately needs to know and to see and experience the light and the love of Jesus. Are you, again, I go back to the very beginning, are you being available to God? Are you looking for those opportunities? Or are we just going through our life, just following our own agendas? Or are we saying, you know what? God, here I am completely available to you to work through me, in me, and through me so that the world can see not me, but to see Jesus. So I want Tyler and the team to come up. We're gonna sing one more song. And I wanna pray for us that we would, yeah, I wanna pray that, that we would truly believe the Christmas story, the Christmas message that we read about in Revelation 12. 
that the enemy has been thrown down, the enemy has been conquered, all because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for the hope that we have. I thank you for the, the hope that we have in, in simply stating that, that, that the tomb is empty, that, Jesus, you conquered sin, you conquered death, you're reigning and ruling it right, right now at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for the darkness of our sin can be just shattered by our faith in you. Thank you that as the enemy comes seeking to devour and to to destroy us, we know that that darkness gets shattered by the light of your word, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that, that the darkness has no chance against you. And so as I think about the world that we live in, Think about the darkness that's all around. I truly get excited, not for pain and suffering to come, but for the opportunities that we will have to point to you, Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, that's what you said. You said you're the light of the world. And anyone who believes in you will not walk in darkness. And so those who are walking in darkness right now, God, I ask that you would lead us to them by the power of your Holy Spirit to proclaim you, to share the love that you have for them. I ask that as those who are walking around in darkness, I ask that their their eyes, the the blinders that would would be removed from their eyes, that they would see you clearly, Jesus. And I ask that, Jesus, that, that, that this Christmas season, this week, we would be so filled with hope that we would not live for the things of this earth, but we would live for you, Jesus, in your kingdom. Because it is so greater than anything else. We love you, Jesus. It's all in your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.